And so it takes a whole new level of consciousness. We have to notch up and do the work to go into this, if it's not working, to go into another level of consciousness, which is in our favor. It's like the universe nudging us to be in a, a more expanded consciousness of, of ourself. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Welcome to Evolution Sucks, out of the primordial ooze and into our best life. All right, shall we start? Yep, let's start. Let's start. <clears throat> I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back to Evolution Sucks. This week, I have the great pleasure of sitting across from Sue Mason. I met Sue with my wife, Megan, almost a year ago. We're recommended to Sue as someone who can help couples navigate the often minefield that relationships can face. Sometimes 20 years of marriage can lock in a dynamic that lives below the surface and often needs some adept guidance to expose and look at that energetic. Although Meg and I felt immune to relationship struggles, the fact is we were up against some roadblocks. So, it was off to Sue Mason. In all honesty, I kind of like doing couples work once I'm in the chair. <laughs> However, <laughs> in this case, the moment Sue began to speak, I stopped hearing her words and fell under the spell of her honey-infused voice. I don't even know how to better describe it, so you will just have to hear it for yourself. I'm so excited to go deep into a conversation with my next guest. Welcome, Sue Mason. Wow, thank you. <laughs> it's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah, and I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you took up. Mm. It is so awe-inspiring to me. It moves me so much, truly. Uh -huh. really does. That the, It's a circle we live in, and it resonates out. Mm. You know, our work, it influences your family, your children, your community. I mean, my experience yeah. of listening to your last podcast. It, so it circles out, and it's 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 a beautiful thing to face the fire and do our work. Yeah, I, I have to say it's not really what I planned at yep. this stage in my life. <laughs> I was pretty sure that I had a, you know, it was pretty solid. Yeah. There's no blind spots. And um, I really feel like when Meg and I came to first see you, actually, we were coming to talk about Bo a little bit. Right. And... That sort of segued into us coming to see you for us, which also is the title of a really powerful book that you turned this on to by Terry Reel. So I feel like, you know, I, I was looking at my calendar. I think it was in March, maybe, that we came to first see you. Yeah. And I really feel like that was this opening to what I've am going through and continue to go through, but there was some opening there. And then, you know, what happened 
over the summer and then, you know, working with Christine, all of that, when I, when I reflect back, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is the next step, right? Mm -hmm. In a journey that I feel like I've been doing my whole life. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, there's really more. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like just to address what you were kind of talking about there is that in revealing my story and my struggle and my evolving, it does seem to have worked for other people to hear that and go, oh, wow, wonder what's going on inside of me that I haven't looked at or haven't, haven't revealed because for me, it's, this is the big reveal party, right? Yeah, yeah. And I do wake up more often than not in the middle of the night going, holy fuck, dude, really? Like, why? Why did you expose yourself? Why are you sharing yourself in this way? Mm. And really what it does, when that thought comes and that, that feeling is it really overwhelms me, especially early morning. I don't know what it is about two or three in the morning, but it's like you're most vulnerable and your ego is probably at its lowest force field. So you probably could speak more to that. But it just makes me, when I feel that, I feel like, okay, I, I want to tear more down. I want to reveal more. Mm-hmm. It, there's like some underlying energetic that makes me want to go further. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's, I think it's really natural. Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe scary because the culture doesn't really um, allow it or it's not that normal. Yeah. Or fitting into how it usually goes. We carry the mask over top. Yes. And to expose ourselves or reveal and be that vulnerable. I mean, you being a guy, a male, the saying goes that by three or four, you were kind of trained out of feeling your feelings and emotions uh-huh. and what your needs were yeah. already. Uh-huh. You were conditioned out already. Wow. And to retrieve that is part of healing. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm really into or have been paying a lot of attention to Gabor Mate's work of um, <clears throat> the myth of normal yep. and all that. And what strikes me overall about his work and this dovetails into what you're saying is is that patriarchy is a trauma culture which means there's a separation the word the key word is separation separation from our um, emotions from our cognition mm-hmm. like there's just not a, um, a fluid flow between the two enough and especially in the male world where there's uh conditioning out of that such an early age to be tough or whatever yeah uh, to not know emotions to not know those so to do your work to deepen into what you're processing and healing is number one a, a real um deep connection with your truth uh-huh that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. At the same time you do the healing, you have to travel through the layers of the trauma of what was there to understand it, release it, go beyond it. Um, but uh, it's 
remarkable and awesome, and I think you should keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have a choice (laughs) anymore. (laughs) It's helpful for so many people. Uh I mean, even listening, I emailed you about your last podcast with Christine and the effect on me. I've been doing work for years, and there was this, you know, as I listen to the podcast, I'm always doing something like yoga in a dark room. Uh I just relax and listen. And as I'm breathing breathing and getting more resonant with myself, things go deeper. And there was like these filaments of uh, subtleties of realizations of deeper conditioning that I had that revolved around trauma and being the hero child. And the family was overwhelmed with what they were dealing with. And so I was the one that made things better. Yeah. And I that's all I could do is be that hero child and not create an excessive more of a burden mm-hmm. on young parents aged like 24, 25, with wow. already had three kids, right? Wow. So young. So young. And um, so your podcast influenced me deeply. And and that's the work that we can do today with technology, right? Yes. And, and have all this go on and be really vulnerable and with skill share our stories and our truth and our healing, which influences everybody else to do it. That is my hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's my why when, yeah. when I really sit with this and, you know, in those moments in the middle of the night or early morning hours when I am like, oh my God, you know, what are you doing? I go back to my why and my why is by sharing the story, may one person benefit, yes. you know, and may the collective shift as well as an individual and you know I I really have to say like it's amazing at what's come to the surface Mm -hmm. so what that does for me is go well how are you navigating like two-thirds of your life with all of this undercurrent of trauma and I read something this morning I think it was a post on Instagram and it said that we are like bottles. We, we have two abilities. We're a bottle of water or we're a bottle of soda. And I'm thinking in context of the patriarchy and, and men of how we're trained, as you said, age three or four, not to uh, honor our emotions or even know how to process and express them in a positive way. I think about all the anger that men carry and all the violence that men carry. And this this analogy of of two uh, liquids in a bottle. And so what happens when you shake a a can of soda Mm -hmm. and then open it? It explodes, explodes, right? 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 So the shaking of that can of soda is how we as men are taught to navigate. Hold it in, hold it in. You know, don't express it, don't express it, be a guy, guys don't cry, whatever, guys don't feel. All of a sudden, you take the top off and boom. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when you shake a bottle of water? Not much. And nothing. Yeah. Yeah. If right. it's spring right. water, right? Not right. carbonated, still water, open the cap, no explosion. Mm-hmm. It's still calm. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, that this is this is the state that I am now experiencing for the first time in my life. Wow. Because I was always that. And I know there are people out there who could vibe 
like, oh, Jamie, that kid's just, he's got some anger, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be an angry man. I yeah. didn't want to be that person that people are like, well, don't, don't rock that boat because mm-hmm. that kid's going to blow up. Yet I could feel that shaking of the soda bottle. And then, you know, if the circumstances were right and the cap came off, mm-hmm. I mean, that ha- that's happened since moving here seven years ago. There are three distinct incidents mm-hmm. where the cap came off and I just blew up. Mm-hmm. So what I'm... What I'm finding, and it's amazing because I feel like I'm, I'm getting worked in so many ways. Your support and your reflection when we communicate, email, or we meet in person, the work that I did with Christine, you know, the work Megan and I are doing on relational, you know, being a relational couple, mm-hmm. not one up, one down. It's all working to still this like rage or frustration or whatever, however I could name it, that has been inside of me my whole life. Right. And we had a situation yesterday and or two days ago over the weekend that I can't remember exactly, but I could just feel in the past, I would have been severely triggered by what was going on. And I kept like going and sitting in the chair in my room, like removing myself from the conflict and checking in. I was like, what is this feeling? <laughs> this is new. Like I felt steady and calm. Wow. Yeah. And then I go back into the conflict. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to remove myself again. Mm-hmm. And I do that. And Taya came and curled up in my lap. And I was sitting, meditating. And then I was like, wow, you're not feeling this like rise to the surface. I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to make it right from my point of view. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I bet it was. I, I really bet it was. That's an extraordinary experience to have, especially in the beginning when you start to do that. Yeah. And that ability to, to uh, recenter, to take the time to remove yourself, that's the name of the game. Yes. Because in, in relationships, we all get, um, to some degree, the word is triggered, reactive, want to retort, go back at the other. Yep. But what breaks that cycle is to leave, usually leave the situation if we need to, and recenter so that we can presence the other uh-huh. rather than our own volatility working. Yep. We want to learn to presence the other. Hey, I see you're upset. I'm upset too, but right now I'm I'm recentering. I want to be present to you. Is there anything I can do to help you feel better? Mm-hmm. Anything I can do to be helpful for you? And so it becomes about them rather than our upset. And that requires a certain amount of the the volition of the trauma to reduce. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which you've done. You've worked on it. Yeah. And now it becomes, as it shows up in relationship, the ability to regain your agency. You know, you return to yeah. well-being. And then be present to your partner. It's, it's like really beautiful work. 
Yes, and okay. I, and I have to say, I feel like you you really introduced this idea to us when we actually came to see you about uh, Meg and I, not necessarily one of our children. It was more like, oh, okay, and and this dynamic that had been established mm-hmm. was was deeply rooted. Right. And, and I can recall, you know, the first session or second session where we're we're each trying to position ourselves mm-hmm. with a flag that said, I'm planting this flag because my point of view is right. Correct. Right. That's what And we you were very gently like steering that, that concept or that feeling back to neutrality or back to relational us. Mm-hmm. Right. This isn't one person who's going to drive this discussion. Right. And, and so... Back to the idea or the concept of patriarchy, not man bashing, but as a trauma culture. Part of that is extreme individualism, which we find in our day and age. Yeah. Me, 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 my upset, my hurt, my point of view. And it's knee jerk. We have no idea to the degree of how knee jerk that is. I experience it. Um, I, you know, I have to myself pull back, breathe, do my own work first, presence yep. myself so I can presence the other. After we get through that and are able to do that more and more, it becomes like this generosity uh-huh. back and forth, which is like who we are. Right. That's who we are. That feels like who yeah. we are. And to the return to that over and over and over of just generosity and space for the other and listening. And yes, we have needs and those need to be skillfully brought forth also in a discussion. Yep. But by being able to regulate ourselves, return to our own well-being, presence what's going on, um, by being able to do that, we're protecting the what Terry Real calls the relational biosphere. Mm. And that's the most important thing is how do we protect that because we both inhabit that. Yeah, nice. And, w- and if we go off on it and wreck it, it tears it. Mm. You know, it opens it, it. It's not strong. It's not healthy. So we want to continuously protect it. And the truth is it's by doing our own work first. Yes. And I know that you you were advocating that quite yeah. often yeah. Uh, when we would sit with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's said a lot. <laughs> Wait a minute, what about me? <laughs> I know, and, and, and there is this transition out of that me first consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can see in myself, it's so amazing, Sue, the clarity that I, I now feel like the, uh, my vision holds, right? Like I can, I can look back on my life and it becomes clear in a way that it never was. And this idea of me first, I mean, that's been the story of my life. Let's face it. I've always put myself first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I gave lip service to, oh, well, no, we're going to, you know, I'm going to listen or we'll decide together. But I have very strong energy, which I now see was created to protect me. You're not going to get to me. You're not going to hurt me. I'm going to be out in the world. Which would you, when you developed that pattern early on, it was very intelligent in the situation you were in to keep you 
safe safe and within your integrity that's right and and the problem comes comes because we bring that to the same patterning that worked in childhood to our adult relationship exactly yeah exactly yeah and that was brought to all my adult relationships mm-hmm. and what what's getting reframed i love this this word you use generosity mm-hmm. because i can feel that like when when I can give up my idea of what I think is right or how it should go, and I can really receive what the other person is is saying to me and expressing, mm-hmm. it's it's like something just goes ah, oh. yeah, right. I know it's like it's freedom. just like it, yeah, it's, it's expansion. Yeah. Is what it feels like. It's yeah. it's expansion. And there still is that little voice of like, well, I gotta, I gotta get my dig in, or I gotta make my point, or I'm right about how I'm seeing this. And and really, when I look at it, so much ego is invested. That's the word I was thinking. Yeah, so and, and much. And the journey you're on is out that we're all on is ego to soul. Yeah. To reclaim that and to expand that. That's right. On the planet, also. Yep. So here we are, right in line, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's really important to go back and know that when the traumatic things all occurred early on and we developed a pattern to survive, whether it be anger, one-up, right, whatever that strategy was, mm-hmm. withdrawal, control, whatever, when we developed that, it's really important, I think, to to really hone in on how intelligent that was. I know I'm repeating, but it really is important because what we lose during trauma is self-compassion. And we need to regain it. And that's what allows us to transform ourselves from ego to soul, Uh is self-compassion, a lot of compassion. I mean, think of Thich Nhat Hanh and all his work. I don't know if you've read him, but it's, it's all about that. Most main effective spiritual teachers that's a lot of their work to that gentleness with ourself we're on this hard journey it's tough yeah and to the more traumatized we are the se- it seems like the less compassion we have for ourselves we're hard on ourselves and to um allow ourselves to have times of regression back into ego or wanting to do it once we notice our patterns and then allow ourselves to have compassion for that, self-soothe, et cetera, and move onward. I think it's really important, yeah. It's so important. Yeah. I know what what drove much of my journey was self-loathing, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, knowing, knowing compassion, mm-hmm. like, intellectually knowing what that was, I mean, let's face it, I, I was a Buddhist for almost a decade, right? Right. right? right. And that's drilled into us, mm-hmm. you know, bodhicitta, compassion. And yet, this self-compassion that you're referencing, I can honestly say, I really didn't get that until this year, until all this came to light. And what is enabling me is to actually have compassion when I see other people struggling, which you would think, well, that's a normal uh, manifestation of compassion, right? Oh, I see the suffering of others. You know, I wish that wasn't upon them. That 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have that going that much either mm -hmm. because it was so self-directed, this loathing. Until you have self-compassion, really, I don't think you can have true compassion for another. Yeah, I agree. Is sort of what I'm discovering. Right, right. And, you know, the self-loathing as a child when things happen that are difficult or negative or traumatic, we naturally internalize it. It's because of us. It starts there. It's because of me. It's my deficiency. Yeah. It's I'm something wrong with me. I'm bad. Yeah. And so it started really early. And that's where we start with self-compassion. Uh-huh. Like you go back. I mean, you've done work to release things somatically out of your body and reestablish really beautiful connections which is an incredible foundation that you're so lucky to have here in Paonia. It's like yes. a remarkable. <laughs> I know, it truly is. <laughs> right. That's probably why we moved here. <laughs> you're right, exactly. <laughs> and then to, as time goes on, to go back and reparent that little one uh -huh. with compassion because he made the right choice, but that's all he could do. Mm. And bring self-compassion to him. And then you have the aspect of being uh, a man. So, you you know, a young boy is trained out of that also. Yes, all that, which is the back to the patriarchy and separation and othering and all that, but um, yeah, it's like piled on, piled on. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say that mm, two thirds of the men who come into my practice um, are similar. Mm. We're starting at basics of how to feel. Uh huh. Is the training. Basic, basic. Yeah. I was amazingly surprised huh. how much it was that way. Yeah. I know you do um, inner child work. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit like what that process looks like and what the importance is of, of yeah. actually going and doing that work? Because, you know, I, I'm sure you encounter like, hey, I'm, I'm a grown man. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what validity or what right. value is there in going back to something that's water under the bridge? So, oh, right, yeah. sure. So in the basic overview, inner child work is uh, uh, connecting the frontal lobes with the adaptive child. So connecting the higher brain uh, with the child who adapted to the circumstances. So, so one... One of the main tensions in life for children in this culture, not past cultures, and by this culture I guess I mean the last uh, 500 years or more, a little bit more, uh -huh. maybe like that, is there's a, there's, there's a tension between attachment and authenticity. And that comes about because the circumstance that we're in doesn't provide attachment health. Secure attachment, usually. If you think of tribes yes. and how they carried their babies, yep. they were always around adults, the babies. They weren't left to cry along. They were soothed, returned to well-being. They were cared for really well. Yes. And it, their emotional bonding to the parent was first and foremost. And if it go, went out of whack, it was returned to quickly. Uh -huh. We now have a culture where we separate children at birth from the mother. It's mind-boggling it, mind when you say that. Yeah. Spot practices, you know, uh, let them cry. 
don't attend to their needs. So when our fundamental non-negotiable needs as a baby, infant, early child, and not beyond that too, are not met, we have to choose between atta- being attached or authentic. Our, our, th- our authenticity is like, I need you. <laughs> you know, I'm emotional. Help me. Touch me. Comfort me. Um, be with me. Let me be close. I'm protected. I'm safe internally. Um, that's authenticity. And we will give it up and put it away and repress it and deny it to be, be attached because our survival depends on it. Uh-huh. So then from there, when we just work for attachment, in my own life, I'll use that as example, um, with overwhelmed, burdened parents, the adaptive child learned to please, have no boundaries, blood donate, give everything, mm-hmm. make them happy first, my needs went second. I was never a burden, so I'd be loved. Uh-huh. You grow up with that. You keep doing that. It's like the water I swim in, right? Yes, exactly. I don't even know it, but right. I'm just doing it. That's right. I love um, that. And um, for the sake of attachment, pretty soon I don't know who I am. Yes. It really divorced from any sense of my needs or being authentic or real or even to myself. And so when we do inner child work, we go back in and it's a guided process and we the overall outcome is to connect higher brain, which we have now, uh, fourth brain developed, if we talk about it that way, uh-huh. to the little child who was going through the trauma. And we reparent that child. And we reconnect with that child. And we give that child attachment health over and over mm. and over. I did it once 14 days in a row. Wow. And yeah. I've done it, you know, at least 100 times. So let me pause you there. Yeah. So are you going back as you are like Sue Mason now mm-hmm. as your adult self mm-hmm. and you're in a, say, a particular situation where you were uh, aiming to please or to calm the waters in your family situation? Mm-hmm. And then what happens there? So you're next to your little Sue Mason self? Yep. goes like this. Yep. I imagine, I, you know, I have people pick an age. What as to distressing situations say now in your relationship as an adult? Got that one. Okay. When did you feel similar feelings? Just let it pop up. Make it up. Scroll just, back or no? You just let it pop up. Huh. An age. In I've I've had my seven year old, four year old, infant, twenty four year old. All those ages have popped up. Interesting. You just let it. There's a wisdom here. Mm-hmm. And you begin a conversation with that little one first. You invite them to sit next to you. You see what they look like. You check into your feelings. And you start this conversation back and forth between you and that little one who's excessively wise. And you start, and the healing comes through the conversation back and forth. And it's like it's like if you were two feet apart um, in, in like a consciousness, you know, you didn't even know that they were there, the little one. Through the process of doing the inner child work, they come together. And it is remarkably healing. I've been on the floor bawling, literally, because I thought my heart was going to burst with grief for not knowing her and putting her aside in a way and tucking her away in what she needed and her worthiness and her innocence and her authenticity to regain that. To move back into that weather, it's like there's nothing like it in the world. Yes. <laughs> Is that like abandonment then? 
Yeah. Did you feel like you abandoned I self-betrayed. Yeah. Yeah. And most of us do, to survive, to attach, because it's too risky to be authentic. And so what you end up doing with the process, I have people doing inner child work, and Tara Brock has one. This one is from Terry Real. There's shadow work that's similar. Um, there's other work with therapists who do different variations of inner child work. And with the work that I do, I... Um, at the end, you know, I, people reconnect. They get needs of the little one that they didn't listen to and they couldn't back then. Uh, they con- they converse back and forth, and then you you bring the little one down to a small size in your hands and you tuck her, her or him in your heart till next time you she wants to come out or he wants to come out to talk. You let him know you can talk anytime. And so it works like this practically. Like say you got in a conversation or an argument with with your wife. You're going to say, I'll be back in a minute. I'll be back. I'll be back in five minutes. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to your room. You're going to sit down. You're going to pull your little Jamie out on your knee. You're going to tell him the truth. You're going to talk to him. He's really upset. He's triggered. He's traumatized. He wants to be angry to to take care of himself. You're going to talk to him. You're going to listen to him. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you get done with that process and everything's a little calmed down, because that's what happens, you, you say to him, just go behind me, hold on to my shirt. I'm going to go out there and deal with her. You're not. I'm taking the steering wheel with my frontal lobes, uh-huh. my reasoning, and you don't need to. You're protected. Interesting. So that's, that's what we do with it. So inner child and adaptive child are different, aren't they? Yes. So the inner child does the adaptive child. Right. The yeah. the inner child essentially morphs into the adaptive yes. child. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because I can so in my case I have two memories of what I would consider the the shift between my inner child and then the adaptive child. And the inner child I had this experience my mother used to take us to Cape Cod for the summer and I just remember as a four or five year old running around these sand dunes and being the happiest probably that I could recall ever being you know my dad had passed away when I was three it was just my brothers and my mother Mm -hmm. uh, on the cape but I had no I had no reference other than my happiness at, at expressing this human body that can run and jump and play in the sand and run into the ocean. Yeah. And to me, that was, that is my inner child mm-hmm. that I, I really recall. He, he, was, he was perfect. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I went into, I don't know what age, I want to say seven maybe or eight, kids begin to notice differences mm-hmm. between them right? Physical differences. Mm -hmm. And that's when I began to get the reflection, there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Now, I may have known that prior to, you know, having gone through a surgery as a newborn and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But what I really saw as the adaptive child, as I understand it, showed up at age 10 or 11 Mm -hmm. or 12. Mm -hmm. I was drinking. At 11. 11 or 12, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, Southern Comfort seemed, I, I 
I would never drink that now, but it, as a kid, it tasted really sweet. Smoking pot, mm-hmm. uh, having sex, not intercourse, but fooling around right. with my girlfriend who was like a year or two older. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're actually, if the audience could see, we're in our basement, which is finished, and their pictures all on the wall. And there's a picture I want to show you before you leave, Sue, yeah. of me at that age. And I'm leaning against this poor concrete foundation of our school. And I have this look on my face like, you're not going to fuck with me. Yeah. You're not going to touch me right. anywhere, physically or emotionally. So to me, that's that adaptive child. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is, I saw like this, this year, that, I've been carrying that kid with me. Right. He's been running the show. Yeah. He's got the steering wheel. He had the steering wheel right. all this time. Yeah. And even with my level of awareness where I'm like, oh, no, you know, I don't believe my story, you know, blah, blah, blah. This adaptive child ran the show, was steering the bus. So you would, you know, in inner childhood, you may go back and say, you're 11 year old shows up and you see what he looks like you begin to talk with him understand him uh start to tell him the truth that it wasn't his fault that he didn't deserve it that he lives in a culture where this is allowed to happen that others people does othering does superiority one up and you may have taken all that on to survive yeah and that now it's time to do something different. What do you think? What are your needs? And you talk with him. And you really spend the time doing it because the opportunity is to grow past that to such a uh, strong other polarity that we don't even know how beautiful that really is. Mm. To learn the skills to grow past that and the skills that are missing in our culture. I mean, they have to do with the heart. Combining the heart with the cognition, not just the heart, but combining the two. And that's uh, really unexplored um, uh, territory. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem valued in some odd way. That's the patriarchal culture. Yeah. If we look at Steiner, Rudolf Steiner, mm-hmm. and the threefoldness, thinking, feeling, and willing, or head, heart, and will forces... Well, we've separated cognition from feeling, so we're off of the head pull, the head intellect. And in the intellect, one of the results is of just the intellect is uh, that it's all the individual's problem. It's not within the culture or environment that they live in. Mm-hmm. It's their problem. There's something wrong with them. Like if a person's mentally ill or has something like that, it's their fault in our culture rather than they're like a canary in the coal mine. Yeah. That it's, something's wrong here. It's right. not working well. It's not holistic. And and so you want to go back and reparent that little one. The word is parent. Reparent. The mystic parent, we can call it. The mystic parent of that little boy, the truth. And that's the healing. Along with developing new skills past that towards, you know, moving from ego to soul. Consciousness. Yeah extraordinary opportunity yeah it really is and and just this whole canary in the mine 
uh, analogy, you, you just see it. I mean, mass shootings. Yep. I mean, come on. Addiction. It's been like over 300 or something this year alone. It's bizarrely frightening. Yeah. It, addiction, mental challenges, um, depressions, anxieties, angries, all those things, they're all canaries in the coal mine. Like this patriarchal trauma culture, which we've all been so traumatized, it's, we need to open. Yeah. We need to develop. That's why I'm so thankful for Terry Reel's work because he's really pointing to this in a very practical way. Let's use the relationship. Yes, right? <laughs> right? If that works between you and <laughs> right, me, right. hey, maybe that can work in other relationships, yeah, right? exactly. Right. Yeah, and his language is so relatable. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah. it resonated really deeply with me and and it shifted my consciousness in a way that I can honestly say I had never really experienced. You know, yeah. this whole idea of one up, one down, you know, that made great sense, but it was this, this disharmony mm -hmm. and harmony and then the repair work to go from disharmony to yes. harmony. Yes. And so what, you know, what is the repair work? Well, you kept saying you each need to work on yourself first, mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense. But it was in the context or the, the envelope of togetherness. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really is what, what we're about right now as, a, as humanity, as this, you know, people living on a very small planet. Yeah. This is what is up. There's forces, you know, pressing against this sort of idea of opening up and, and shifting the patriarchy and not abolishing man or abolishing, you know, the good traits, right. but wrapping in those things that make us more relational. Yes. And that's really a lot of what I got from from you working with us and Terry's book, yeah. you know, it's just, this time is very amazing. It's very amazing. And, and um, I know you have mentioned Sacred Sons, too. Uh-huh. Uh, take a look at that. And I, in the context of what you're, you're sharing right now, um, what they're doing in terms of uh, what they call masculine alchemy the embodied masculine, uh, using frameworks of to do the work of, uh, uh, like circle, ritual, ceremony, uh, protected space, relational and physical training, outside on the land, yep, to reclaim their feeling body and their fierceness to protect. Uh huh. So there you are. You're combining head and heart. Yeah. You're putting them back together as a organism to give information or knowledge to go forth. And it's like, I am so awed by them and what mm. they're doing. Uh -huh. I want to go. <laughs> yeah. I can't go. <laughs> I know. I actually, after you uh, referenced them, I went on their website and I was like, holy crap, this is hunk central. <laughs> you know? <laughs> These guys are like all extras from Braveheart, you know, these wild braids and facial hair totally. and tats and, you know, right, right. And I'm like, oh my God, these guys are amazing because of what you're saying. I mean, it's not just their fierce warrior looking dudes, right, right. 
but their heart connected. Yeah, and they're crying and yeah. they're hugging and they're really embracing each other to hold the space for what comes up. Yeah. It's remarkable that they're doing this. It is powerful work because I feel like we're we're informed on only part of this journey, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the heart gets left behind. Yes. And then the heart gets broken because some people are like, hey, I can't be with you because you're just, you're stuck in this dynamic mm-hmm. of like protect, be one up or whatever it is. Angry, controlled. Angry, controlling. Take. Yeah. I mean, that was me for many of my relationships. And I feel like these guys, when I, I, you know, I I did spend quite a bit of time exploring their their website and watching some videos. And and, uh, I was like, whoa, you know, powerful work. It's like they took Iron John exponentially right they like amped up iron john work right right and fly and said okay we're, we see it. you and we're gonna raise the bar like fucking a mile <laughs> it's astounding yeah right it really is so there is this good work going on actually one thing really caught my eye they you know they put boxing gloves on some mm-hmm. of these dudes yeah and uh, you can tell these guys have never thrown a punch in their life. Some are just like pathetically swinging, mm-hmm. and yet it's heartfelt. And and there is something that I must have intuited many, many years ago. My son, Nick, when he was 11, had a, a good friend. His name was Alex, but his last name was Speed, so everyone called him Speed. Mm-hmm. And they were best friends, and Alex... Uh, lived at our house with Nick and I. We were bachelors at that time. And they always got along. They always were like hanging out on these physio balls, balancing. And, you know, we watched Patriots football and they'd be goofing around. And one day, I don't know why, what triggered it, but they were just sniping Mm -hmm. and bickering. Mm -hmm. And it was really nasty. And I was like, okay, you two outside let's go and they're like what i'm like come on you guys go work this out and you're gonna work it out the way that boys need to move energy now i was there i wasn't gonna let anyone get hurt but i was like let's go go at it and they both like without any more prompting ran towards each other and started wrestling and I remember, like, here they are rolling around on the ground. Well, how long can you really do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, how long can you fight or box somebody? I mean, people don't understand, like, boxing or MMA, you have to be really fit mm-hmm. to start throwing punches at somebody. You're exhausted in 30 seconds. Well, 30 seconds, a minute goes by. These two boys roll off. They're both panting. I'm like, you guys done? And they're like, you know, yeah. done. And then they go back in the <laughs> right. house and they're, they're best fine. friends. Yeah. So on the Sacred Sons, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, men need to experience that. And then that you see the aftermath of the boxing or whatever, wrestling, and these men are hugging it out. Yeah. Like they're best friends. My dad tells a story. He's not alive now. Uh, he passed over about seven years ago. He tells a story when he was in his early 20s, late teens, and they'd be in a, at an event, be a lot of guys. Two guys would have some kind of a conflict. So they'd take it outside, and a ring of guys would surround them mm. to make sure things were fair, and they'd, they'd fist fight 
inside the ring until they had enough. Um, maybe one was called the winner. I don't know. Maybe not. But then they'd shake hands and go back into the event. Yeah. It's yeah. So there is this quality in men where they need that, mm-hmm. that like tension, that you know physicality and movement yes yes yeah yeah it's a very different way of dealing with emotions than how the female deals with emotions. very much so right for and me it's not honored anymore right and, and for me going out on a bike ride yeah i would come right. back if i had something stirred up and go ride mm-hmm. i'd come back an hour or two later and i'd be completely like right. just calm yep. right movement and physicality yeah mm-hmm and so that that to me is what's not being asked to to eliminate that mm-hmm. it's finding ways where it's constructive mm-hmm. and finding ways where where the feminine way of processing mm-hmm. can be honored mm-hmm. and and welcomed both within us as men mm-hmm. and within our partners if we're in that kind of heterosexual relationship yeah yeah i yeah, it's a dynamic that it's it's so interesting. It's really interesting. Women often solve, not all, but it's generally known that women solve their conflictual things or difficulties by talking. Yeah. Emotions Is and that talk. true? Mm-hmm. It is. It's a lot true. <laughs> um, just to be listened to, give attention and be understood, uh, it's it's often very important for most feminine beings where and it's not exactly the same for all of them but the same with men the physicality and the movement Mm -hmm. a cave space being alone to process rather Mm -hmm. than talking yes i used to get my when we drive to boulder my husband and i I want, oh my God, I have him for five hours. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's a captive audience. (laughs) He's not going anywhere, honey. So we we had to make this agreement. Well, he did. He goes, okay, when I put my hand up, it's enough. (laughs) (laughs) When did that happen, McClure Pass? Which, for you people who don't know where we live, that's like 30 minutes from there, right, right. 45 minutes. Yeah. Oh. oh my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, different ways of processing emotions and finding ways to meet that. And one thing that uh, I would like to mention that really works, um, that my husband thought of and started, uh, I it goes like this. I first thing in the morning go into my office in the house and journal, prep, meditate. He has made it a, a priority to come in and he sits right in front of me on a stool and he all smiles, listens for five minutes and he doesn't say a word and he just <laughs> listens and usually I have nothing to talk about, but I get rolling and it's all there. <laughs> And he smiles when he's when I'm finished. He goes, "That was great. I really love knowing about you." And he leaves. And that's it. <laughs> it is awesome. Wow. <laughs> it is beyond. He said he's going to write a book about it. <laughs> it is so awesome. It, it works it's so, so well. Simple it's so simple for a guy. Could any guy could do that? Well, you know what he says. He goes, "I don't have to fix it. I don't have to think of things to yeah. help her. I don't have to solve it, save her. I don't have to fix it. I just listen." Yeah. And it solves her problems because she gets attention and she's listened to. And that's a guy thing is to yeah. fix. Yeah. 
and to oh. logic it yeah. and to, you know, okay, yeah. this is a problem. We're going to solve it. Yeah. One thing that you introduced us to, which has been tremendous, active listening. Yeah. Now, I always thought of myself as a good listener, mm-hmm. you know, when Meg would want to express, you know, what was going on with her. Right. But at some point, the hand would go up, <laughs> right? The hand would go up, but... And and in a way, I'd stop listening at that point. I was like, okay, saturation, right? Like, I felt like... Your hand would go up. Yeah, my hand would go up. Like, I'm saturated, but it would go up internally, and I would just check out. Yes. So what active listening would... And and again, I don't want to belittle myself. I mean, I could sit there probably more than most guys could and hear my beloved partner express what's going on. What's been really helpful about active listening is that it creates, you know, your favorite show, like if you're streaming and there are no commercials and then you go to some place like Peacock or something and there are commercials, they're like, oh, this sucks, but it's a break. Mm -hmm. So active listening creates a break Mm -hmm. where I have to reflect what that person just said to me Mm -hmm. in a way that they feel heard, not just parrot it back. But go, you know, I really felt like what you were saying, and you might use your own words, but it's, it's encapsulating what they said. Mm-hmm. That's been really helpful. Yeah. Um, because it, I hate to keep saying this, but it, it brings it back to relational. Mm-hmm. We're in relationship here. If I'm not getting what you're saying, then there's a part of the relationship that's not working. Right. I need to really get what you're saying. And as a guy, it tends to, to it, it's a little uncomfortable Isn't at it? first, yeah, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh shit, I'm on, I'm on task here to really know what this person is sharing. Not just like, oh yeah, I get it, honey. You're upset because. You're striving to hear what they want you to hear. So you have to put yourself aside. They're striving to be heard. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and you you're, do. you're striving as a listener to hear what they want you to hear. Through the words, through the tone, through what you're making up about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Our own interpretation. Yeah. And so that's why it's it's sometimes difficult. Like, well, I have to like, mm, mm, you know, really uh, be present and feel it. Yes. Yeah, because we all want to. We all want to say our point of view about it, mm-hmm. right? And I think when we came to you, there was a lot of this point of view happening. Mm-hmm. Well, this is my point of view. This is mine. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of real hearing Mm-mm. or listening mm-hmm. as to what was being said. And, and what was happening, at least for me, was reacting to the words mm-hmm. and not listening to the feeling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think if that's a skill that this conversation and and men can develop, and I'm feeling like this is a sacred son's work that they're working on, is really listening mm-hmm. and hearing mm-hmm. what that partner is saying, whether it's a man or a woman or, you know. Right, and the, and the benefit of that when we really pull it off and can really reflect back and the, the speaker feels very heard through and through as they drop down into safety. Yes. And then they begin to articulate things that have been buried. Yes. Or they're not safe enough to say. 
or don't have the space to say. Yeah, that's and then big. The list, it's really big. And yeah. The listener keeps listening and keeping it safe. They drop even deeper. Yeah. And they may fall into grief uh, for the first time of having something acknowledged or heard. They may not even have known about it. The right. speaker. And so you're creating the safe space to drop down in at a very deep level. And it's really paramount to keep listening and keep pulling that off with empathy. It's healing. Incredibly healing. Yeah, and I think for for me, uh, when I was the listener, mm-hmm. it created this this real empathy in me that I hadn't really experienced before really? as a listener. Yeah, yeah. It was more like I'm listening partially out of obligation, partially, obviously, in this case with Meg, because I love her, and, you know, okay, yeah, I want to hear what you have to say, but it, there was always this tension there, this, this like, little bit of a block yeah. within me. Yeah. And when I was really able to drop in in, in a session with you, and, and we were practicing this, yeah. you were having us really practice, and it was it was like, practical practice it was mm-hmm. like game time it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily like preseason. it right, was right. like game let's time do this <laughs> let's do this i i felt a lot of the opinion and the need for my side or story to be heard i felt like that was starting to just disappear drop away mm-hmm. and what was coming out of that was this real compassion empathy feeling this other person share something so deep mm-hmm. that it was it was moving for them and for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I can say I never, ever experienced that before. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's really important. Really important. And I feel like if that, if that was seeping out in the collective, mm-hmm. if we're able to do that, not just mm-hmm. with... Our, our intimate partners, but with our children, which we are now practicing with our children and having them do active listening, but with our coworkers or, <clears throat> or our friends, you know, and the world at large is going to start to change. Yes. And I think that really is what, what right now, I feel like it could go either way to be Brutally honest. I know, I do too. And in the grassroots movement of what you're describing is like the mycelium under the forest floor, right? Yeah. That's that's the power we have right now. Yeah. There's not a lot else, I don't think. Well, we don't really have a choice in some ways, do we? If we if we awaken to this and we have this knowledge and this feeling and ability, Mm -hmm. then we gotta we gotta continue on. Mm -hmm. We can't just keep it to ourselves. No, not at all. We gotta share that. Right. And it's that creeping mm-hmm. under the, you know, mm-hmm. the forest floor that is going to affect and things. And miracles happen out of that, I swear to God. Yeah, totally. Like, like I've been working on this stuff with my family of origin when appropriate here and there. Uh-huh. Not on purpose, not like you need to do this, but just actually doing it. Yep. And the, the response is a dropping into... This warm connection, safety, just flow with them. Uh-huh. And in that context, in that that setting, I have a nephew who's a, a been in and out of opioids and heroin for ten years and started to live on the streets recently, mm-hmm. and he went to recovery. At first, I mean, he, he, we're we're like 
I mean, things happen yeah. like that. They just show up as an opening for other people to do healing or work, whether they're directly doing it the way we're doing it or not. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen it happen over and over. And that's why I say, you know, thank you to you for being who you are and, and opening this, especially through this medium, also because of the effect worldwide. You yeah. Know, grassroots, here we are. I feel like what you just described, this consciousness is like this living being. Yeah. This yeah. biomass or it's, what yeah. what do you call it in the beginning? A biosphere. Biosphere. Relational biosphere. Yeah. That we share. And, and we do share we that. We do. Like the atmosphere that protects the earth and yes. this air that we breathe. This is We all share it. Yeah. It's the same with relationship biosphere. And so we do our work and the dot dot you know, the domino keeps yeah. going, right? Yeah. It's so remarkable. I swear there's been like three or four miracles. I call them miracles. I don't easily say that word in my life with people around me in the last five years that have just blown my, like this isn't reasonable. Uh-huh, <laughs> you right. couldn't like one, two, three, four, make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not sequential. No, it's not logical. No, it yeah. isn't. It's the connect. It's like the hundredth <laughs> monkey syndrome. Uh-huh. Same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like in, in my personal process, that's what's happened. There's some grace. There's this living biosphere of consciousness that's informing mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. changes within me. And I mean, let's face it. I've been here a long time on this planet. And, and my focus has, believe it or not, been growth or evolution. Yeah. And, and what's happened recently just feels like nitrous you know That's like so a good boost, <laughs> that is right? so good and yeah. and, it, and it, it's not like i'm seeking yeah anything right. it's like seeping in or all of a sudden in, in an awareness walking the dogs yeah. you know on jumbo or something and it's like a download comes yeah right yeah or sitting with you and having this this introduction to this idea of active listening mm-hmm which really, it's beneficial for both parties mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're hitting a pause button on the egocentric, what you think is right. Adaptive what, child. Yep, All adaptive right. Jamie, adaptive child. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I got to show you that picture. It's, that is yeah. the adaptive child. Yeah. I should put that on this somehow in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, patterns just go on their own unless they're interrupted in some way yeah once you start interrupting them then a whole new level of things can occur yeah and, and i'm just hard-headed enough and uh-huh. stubborn enough that i need something pretty dramatic to get my attention mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's what happened this year yeah and i i yeah the journey so you you will not lose that energy by the way of of um determination Mm. and fierceness you don't lose it you won't lose it you'll just transform it into the healthy version of what's next Uh you'll still have it so i'm glad you brought that up because when this all happened and i had this sort of awakening or these awarenesses Mm. of trauma of having cptsd i was like well god how am i going to separate these good qualities these attributes that I actually feel are not bad mm-hmm. from the ones that are causing harm in my world, both internally and externally. 
how do you separate that? How do you keep that? You know, because I, I have a ton of energy. I have like this drive to go out and create now, which has been dormant for almost a decade since I shut my business down back east. And how, yeah, it's like, I think I alluded to it in the, in my first podcast. So it's like a carpet or a, or a woven fabric mm -hmm. and some threads were woven out of the adaptiveness right. and some were actually good qualities. So you came with those good qualities. You think so? They got, they got, yes, they, they got, um, sidelined into a less ideal version of them. Uh huh to protect yourself, which was smart and intelligent. Yep. Now that you can do inner child work and reparent that little one, you will still have the same energy that you came with, but you will now divert that energy or transform it into your creation and uh -huh. what you create. Yes. You're not going to lose it. Well, I got to say, I mean... All, I mean, you're already doing it. Yeah, but in all honesty, I have so much energy now. Yeah. Like, if you took the last decade of me kind of searching for identity, you know, losing identity as a business person, successful, losing that, being a firefighter, I was like, geez, instant identity. I can, I can just channel all that into that. But what I feel now is that, first of all, this release of exposing the trauma and this now creativity to go forward it, it's amazing yeah. i don't know where it came from it's not just caffeine well you're, you're removing blocks do you think yeah 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 you're, no you're, you're, you've totally. got the energy you're just removing the blocks too right and those those blocks are what kind of keep us in this stasis of like yeah. not full potential not living our best life right. not becoming uh what what's maslow call um what is actualized, fully uh -huh. actualized, right? Right. You know, right. that was always out there as like this carrot. Oh, I want to be fully actualized, you know? I want to be realized. If I'm a Buddhist, I want to be realized. And yeah, it's like step by step. Yeah. And I want to share the thing that's become my mantra that you, that you gave me. And that is because I expressed a lot of doubt about taking this project on. And you said, take the step and the ground will appear. Yeah. And I was like, wow, really? Yeah. This, I think this is the way it is right now in consciousness in the world. Yeah. I don't think we can plan it out too much in a linear way anymore. No. I think we just got to trust, be connected. We're connected with ourselves. We're connected with the higher. We download intuition and we take the next step. I know that I've operated that way. And I love it. <laughs> you know, but I have to admit, it's a total reframe because my motto was, I had two, like basically if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space, hmm. which, you know, when Megan heard that, she's like, yeah, no wonder you're crashing and injuring yourself all the time. And the other one was, uh, I'll leap and when I land, I'll look. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I live my life. And there was a part of me that was like, proud of that mm -hmm. like I'm a survivor yeah but what I love about your reframe is take the step and the ground will appear and it, it's not at all related to I'm gonna leap and then look when I land 
right? It's really, it's a different act of faith. The act, of, the the previous act for me was, I'm going to just huck myself and hope for the best. Right. Right. That's all I know how to do. That's all I know how to right. do. Now I'm taking the step and I'm, I'm knowing that that ground will appear that mm-hmm. needs to appear. And, you know, there's, there's many people who have said that, um, and I can't remember who they are in my past, but like teachers and stuff. Oh, you can coin that? No, I did not. I'm attributing it to Sue Mason. I'm yeah, well. sorry. <laughs> you own it now. <laughs> so, so the way that I began to learn that is when I first met my husband, and he was an, an engineer, and he used, used the word iterate a lot. And I started... Reiterate or iterate? Iterate. Huh. It's an iteration. You do an iteration, and when you engineer and design something, you iterate over right. and over. And so I started applying it to my life. And the way I applied it was, well, I'm just going to trust, take the next step, because I've heard take the step and the ground will appear. I think Ram Das is where I first huh. heard I it. I had never heard it till you said it. Yeah. We hear it when we need it, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I need it, I guess. <laughs> so, so... I got this concept of how he iterated in engineering and I went, well, I'm just going to combine that with Ram Das and, t- you know, take the step and the ground will appear. And it's said in a variety of different ways also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to fail. Most mm-hmm. likely there's going to be failures or somewhat part of it will be, it's not going to be perfect, whatever I'm going for. Uh-huh. So then I'm going to learn from that. And I'll be better for that learning. I'll apply the learning, and I'll go again. I'll iterate. And I'll take a step, and the ground Um. will appear. And that's how I've done things, combining those two concepts in that way, because I don't know how else to operate in this world right now with all the changes and transformation structures falling out from under our feet and things dissolving as we transit from ego to soul in the overview, which I think we're doing. Yes. Um, and I find that it's extremely helpful to do that because I find myself connected and guided. Intuition is really strong. I can muscle test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> to confirm. And it's like, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's really, um, remarkable to do that and be on that journey as you're doing and it, learn this ex- incredible trust of yourself as you go in a new way of being in the world along with it. Right. Yeah. Less ego, more soul. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Is there anything, I, again, I just feel like we could just Go talk on and, on. and talk <laughs> and talk. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't cover? Or? Um, I would love to touch on, just for those listening, um, Terry Reel's description of the cycles that relationships go through oh, yeah. and why it's very important to embrace that cycle. Mm. Can I? Absolutely, please. Yeah, so he describes the cycle of relationship in three phases, harmony, disharmony, and repair. Um, or just full-blown romance in the beginning, it's all easy, just complete yes. harmony. Yep. Second phase, um, there's more commitment, uh, responsibilities show up, children, money, houses, careers, blah, blah, blah conflict starts differences show up that never appeared before Mm. adaptive child shows up quite strong in both parties Mm. and we don't know how to navigate the second phase in conflict 
and the third phase is repair, restoring goodwill, making amends, moving into soul from ego, generosity, which cycles us back around again to harmony mm-hmm. until the next second phase of a conflict shows up, which then we repair again to cycle back around to harmony. Mm. The process of relationship is going through that cycle over and over and over. And most of us get stuck in the second phase where conflicts or collisions or imperfections show up and we don't know what to do with them. Uh-huh. And we butt heads and we emotionally distance mm-hmm. and we do you know, um, fall into a negative core image of the other. And then we emotionally distance more. And about six years later, we might get help. By that time, it might be too late. Yeah. Or divorced. Or divorced, and we cycle down. So the whole thing is about how to embrace the the whole cycle, and especially the third phase. And you've been eloquently talking, actually, this whole time about the third phase. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with yourself and with the other. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. it again is it comes back to the work is on the individual, mm-hmm. and the work is then within the relationship mm-hmm. as the individual who has been doing their work. Yes, I guess I think I know the answer, but in this cycle that you just beautifully described, does the disharmony get less? Yes. And the repair get easier. Yes. Right? Yes. So it becomes like we're training ourselves. It's who, a training. Who came out of the womb able to ride a bike like Lance Armstrong? Well, exactly. Nobody, it's right? Practice. Right? You <laughs> right. begin with training wheels or if you had a balance bike, you know, scoot mm-hmm. bike. And then you graduate it up mm-hmm. where you could balance for miles and miles and miles. I graduate and, couples all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Is that repair work becomes easier and the disharmony less dramatic or less able to create a split that's you can't repair or you just you end up laughing about it (laughs) you know we laugh a lot i mean we end up laughing about it instead of getting completely triggered on off-centered it's like it breaks out into hysteria and we're laughing that's the repair you're referring to To the yeah 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 right and the repair does get easier the first time that i remember that i attempted to learn this type of work in terms of actually repairing or making amends or seeing my part and like oh yeah you're right i didn't do it that well and and i said i wouldn't do that again and i'm sorry i'll improve it was like turning like a cargo ship around in the oh, yeah. heavy in the what like oh it was so hard i was t- purple and blue and red and flushed and i could hardly do it but it gets it got real easy after that yeah i that's one of my favorite like references like trying to steer the queen mary yeah right you can't yeah. turn that thing on a dime no but if you're committed and mm-hmm. you're holding the wheel and you're saying we're changing direction it is definitely possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you, people, if I can do this kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it. Anyone can do it. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not being, you know, I'm not being facetious. Seriously, anyone can do this if you choose to. That's right. right? You can. I mean, it's, it's part of a higher nature. Yeah. We just have to click into it and it does take practice. Absolutely. And in the the work is, you know, as Terry Real puts it, relational recovery, be in relational recovery all the time. Read, watch videos, 
listen to audios, get educated, practice, practice, practice. It's yeah. your whole life. It's not like it's you do some and it's done. Right. It's 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 work forever, but it gets easier and more fun. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's was something that was very up for me was okay, when are you done? Mm. Right? I, you've done all this work. Yeah. When are you done? When can you rest? Well, I mean, honestly, you rest when harmony is back in place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then there's the work is, okay, yeah. there is no work in some ways. Internally, there's always going to be work. Within a relationship, I believe there will always be some kind of work to work on. But yeah, the harmony part, if that gets lengthened, mm-hmm. then you're on a beach, you know, with a corona on a, lo- on a beach chair, <laughs> right. watching the, the waves, right? right? With, <laughs> right. Your, with your beloved. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah, right. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Such a great conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's great to be with you. Yeah, you yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, you want to do a little self-promoting? Like, how can people reach out? I can put sure. your website in the show notes or email, how do you prefer to be reached out um, to? That, that would be fine to do it that way. Okay. Yeah. And um, in, I work in Peonia part-time. Okay. I do a few other things. Um, uh, and uh, I'm generally really full, but people graduate. And so it creates openings. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And primarily couples? No. I mean, primarily two-thirds or more. Uh-huh. Yeah, couples. Individuals also. Okay. Yep. And um, I still do also conscious uncoupling work, mm-hmm. uh, which is to create the the um, ending uh, with a new beginning mm. in a different form. The, f- the love takes a different form, uh-huh. especially if there's co-parenting to work that. Yep. Um, so that I still do that, which I love doing. And uh, Terry Reel's work basically is what I'm trained in for the couples. Yeah. Yeah. So out of that um, disharmony, I'm guessing that the repair work can actually keep things going in the relationship. Well, it does. And not only that, it I find it, it re-enlivens, revitalizes there's reattraction. There's magnetism. I mean, the passion is kept alive. It goes up a whole nother notch. Uh huh. It's, it's it's sexy. Not, yeah, it's not ending. <laughs> right. Yeah, it just keeps going. Uh-huh. It's like really, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, we have these ideals of like, as people grow. I've been with my partner for thirty-seven years, and as people yeah. grow, I mean, it's. It, I think people used to live shorter lives, and so. The idea of marriage as an institution from 100 years ago or mm-hmm. 400 years ago mm-hmm. was based on shorter lifetimes, practicality, survival. Mm-hmm. And today people t- can be together for a lot longer because we live longer, whether it's same-sex relationship or you know, man-woman, it doesn't matter. And we want to keep the passion alive. We want to be in love. Yes, and so it takes a whole new level of consciousness. We have to notch up and do the work to go into this, if it's not working, to go into another level of consciousness, which is in our favor. It's like the universe nudging us mm. to be in a, a more expanded consciousness of, of ourself. It's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. On that note, 
we should probably yeah. wrap this up. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. What a pleasure. Yeah. Just to Stay see here. your shining eyes and <laughs> hear your honey-infused voice. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. This yeah. is uh, a lot of fun. It is. Yeah. We'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you like the show and listen on Spotify, please follow and rate the podcast. If you are on Apple, you can rate and write a review. And if you want to show us some love on whatever podcast platform you listen on, that would be much appreciated. This podcast has been edited and produced by Gilroy Productions. Thanks, buddy. Love you.